And as we continue worship through the teaching time, I'm going to invite Heather to come read the book of the first chapter in Habakkuk. So if you can open up your Bibles, and she's going to read for us. Good morning. This is God's word from Habakkuk chapter 1. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Look, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Thank you, Heather. Good morning, church family. It's good to see you. If you're new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are in our Advent series. Advent is a word that simply means the arrival. And so this season of Advent is a time that Christians look back on the arrival of the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, and we lean into that theme of waiting and longing and expectation. And for us, as a church community, we're doing a series for Advent where we look at various passages where the saints of old would cry out this phrase, how long, O Lord? Kind of similar to the kids who were waiting for Christmas morning, how long until Christmas? Uh, but even more seriously, how long the saints of old, and particularly the, the prophets, how long until the Messiah comes? And then we, who now live on the other side of the cross and the empty tomb, we cry out, how long until Jesus returns? How long until the Messiah comes again and sets the world aright? And <laughs> last week, we focused on this theme of how long will idolatry reign in my heart? How long will I struggle with the same doggone sins? And we're going to move a little bit bigger picture. And I, I made a joke last week, you know, about, about maybe one of the most depressing Christmas sermon series you've ever heard in your entire life. And we started talking about it as, as staff this last week and kind of come into the realization that Christmas is a weighty thing. And yet in our culture, in our society, it is all but completely trivialized. Is it not? I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Buddy the Elf as much as anyone else. But, you know, you know narwhals and, and, and drinking syrup on spaghetti really is a little bit, just a little bit shallower than the weight of chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. So I would like to formally rescind my joke from last week. I'm not sorry at all. And we're going to deal with an even weightier subject, or, or maybe a, the same weight, but just on a larger scale today, the theme of injustice. And I did, usually I drink out of my Sound City cup. Today, I, I, I'm going to have my Batman cup. I don't know if you can see that on the live stream, because nothing says fighting against injustice like Batman. And also, for some reason, there's an inseparable link in my mind between Batman and Christmas. Thank you, Tim Burton. So... Just get that out of the way, but it helps me preach with more confidence. So, 
Habakkuk chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get to work here. Lord, I ask for your help. This is a weighty thing to discuss. Subjects of injustice, things that, Lord, I will confess, be easier to not look at too closely. It would be easier to distract myself with the frivolity of the season. It would be easy to distract myself with the comforts and the conveniences of the suburban life that I live. And Lord, your word calls us to confront hard things with the hope of the gospel of Jesus. So for myself, I ask that you'd help me to teach only that which is in line with the truth of your word. For every single person who's here, God, I ask and I pray you'd help us all to have soft, teachable, receptive hearts. Lord, would you help us to see the goodness of our Savior that we might actually go into the world and make a difference where there are issues of injustice. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your coming. We long, we long deeply for your return and your second coming. Pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. So last week I asked some questions on the more personal nature, right? How long will I struggle with this sin? How long? Shouldn't, shouldn't I be better by now? How long will these idols grip my heart? So now we're just going to expand out one circle. How long will the world be plagued by injustice? How long will racism continue to rear its ugly head? How long will there be corrupt politicians and people who are willing to take a bribe? How long will people use their power and their authority to harm and exploit others? This last week I read an article talking about all of the political injustice that's taking place in East Africa. And and some of you know we have an East Africa ministry connection through Heed Uganda. Pastor Kyle and I, as well as a number of others, we've actually been there. I've been there twice. I care deeply about Uganda. And they were talking about how the, the president who's been in power, I think it's something like 35 plus years, and he keeps winning the elections year after year after year. And actually the, the new younger challenger, who's a man almost my exact same age, his birth date was mentioned in the article, was imprisoned and tortured and beaten because he dared challenge the power of the one who is an authority. Don't answer this question. Don't raise your hand or whatever. But does it seem like the whole world has lost its mind? Did you, you know, if, if you were to describe to me a scenario in which a nation would be having riots in the streets, businesses being burned down, looting, protests, racial injustices, and a discussion, widespread discussion in the media of potentially not having a peaceful transfer of power to the next elected official, I would have assumed, like back in my college days, that you were talking about some quote-unquote third world nation, not the United States of America that I live in. Wild times. I read something this last week that hate crimes had been going down statistically for 15 years, but now in the last two years are going back up. How long, oh Lord? Really? I want to start with the big idea and a simple idea and one that is unfortunately all too controversial in our day and age. And it's just simply this. Justice is a core biblical theme. And that word justice, like almost everything in the year 2020, has unfortunately become politicized. There's baggage, there's weight, there's fighting, it's left, it's right, it's you say this, you say that. Friends, if you 
If you read the Bible and you're paying attention, you can't help but walk away with the idea that justice is something that God cares very deeply about. Now, I know that it's been politicized. And I know that we as Christians, particularly for us on the, you know, historical, orthodox, Bible-believing type of churches, there are reactions against this word. And, and it's heartbreaking because, and I don't have time to get into all the history of it, but basically over the last 150 years, one group of Christians says, we need to really focus on, you know, clothing the naked and, and feeding the hungry and taking care of the poor. But along with that, they jettisoned some core biblical ideas like the divinity of Christ and the virgin birth and, and the, the authority and inerrancy of scripture. And so this other group of Christians reacted against them and said, well, hey, you know, we need to hold to these orthodox, historic, you know, once for all handed down, like the book of Jude says, am I right, women? Like the, 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 these faith things, we need to hold on to them. And by the way, those other Christians are doing all this like social justice sort of stuff. So we need to reject all that too. And there's become this heartbreaking polarization in the modern American church where one group of Christians says we're all about the good news and another group of Christians says we're all about good works. And friends, that is a flatly unbiblical division. Jesus Christ himself said, give a cup of cold water in my name. Good works, good deeds go hand in hand with the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, I would argue that they are inseparable. And it breaks the heart of God to see Christians dividing over whether we're about the good news of the gospel or the good works of loving our neighbor. It is a both and thing. Now, the good news is that we are not the first society to wrestle with injustice. (laughs) Just in case you were... uh, overly gloom and doom, America did not invent injustice, okay? The 21st century did not invent injustice. In fact, what we're having to grapple with right now is the death of our Enlightenment-era utopia. For the last few hundred years, particularly in the West, we've lived with this idea that if we just tweaked all the knobs and the dials right, we could get rid of poverty. We could get rid of injustice. And friends, Jesus himself said, the poor you will always have with you. I think by extension, injustice you'll always have with you. As long as there are sinful human beings on earth, we're always going to have to grapple with these things. But there is hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we are not the first to have to wrestle with injustice. In fact, the prophet Habakkuk had to wrestle with injustice. Habakkuk is an interesting figure. He's, he's known as a minor prophet and, and major versus minor really just has to do with how big the books that they wrote are, Okay. So, you know, Isaiah is something like whatever, 60-ish chapters, and Habakkuk is three. So, sorry, you're a minor prophet. He lived around the same time as Jeremiah. In fact, most scholars believe that Habakkuk lived right before the, the tribes of Judah were taken into exile in Babylon. So he would have been a contemporary of Jeremiah. And he sees this growing threat. He sees a world where there, is, there are kings, evil kings. Jehoiakim would have been the king that was in, in charge during his lifetime. You can read about this in 2 Kings 23. But he's looking at a society in Judah that is marked by, yes, sin and idolatry, but also by great injustice. People use their power to take advantage of those without power. And so, as we heard in our scripture reading, he, he prays. The book of Habakkuk is interesting because he, he's, he's praying and he's dialoguing with the Lord. And we do get some thus saith the Lord, but we get a little bit more uh, kind of raw and unfiltered prayers than we often get. So listen to this prayer from Habakkuk. Chapter 1, verse 2. How long, Lord? How long? There it is. There's our phrase. How long, O Lord? Must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you 
force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. See if you relate to this. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. Anybody relate to that? Seem like conflict escalating all the time, even in our own day? This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. Therefore, the wicked restrict the righteous, and for the wicked restrict the righteous, and therefore justice comes out perverted. What a prayer, huh? Aren't you thankful, by the way, that the Bible gives us these truthful, honest glimpses into the hearts and the minds of the saints of old? That is not on anyone's Christmas card this year. I guarantee it. <laughs> Joy to the world. Justice comes out perverted. That's not a dare, by the way. Don't do that, okay? <laughs> Let me pause for a minute. I want to zoom out because, again, I, I said that this word justice has, is so much um, baggage. It's so heavily laden these days. So I want to just share with you kind of a broad overview. Let's zoom out for a minute on what justice is. And I've got five points as it relates to the biblical definition of justice. I'm not talking about our culture's definition of justice. I'm talking about how the Bible, how God through his word defines justice. So number one, the starting point is this idea of equal weights and equal measures. Proverbs 11 says that dishonest scales are detestable to the Lord, but an accurate weight is his delight. So the, the starting point, yes, is this idea of fairness, of you treat people the same. You treat people with equity. You don't give preferential treatment to the rich, and you don't put down the poor. You don't, you know, uh, you don't give preferential treatment to the good-looking, and you treat the, uh, you know, the less good-looking with disdain, that you treat all people the same. That's the starting point. That's point number one. And actually, unfortunately, for a lot of discussion about justice in our society, it just stops there. But there's more. Point number two is that justice is actually part of God's own righteousness. You cannot separate justice and righteousness. In 1 Kings 10, the Queen of Sheba tells King Solomon that he was put in, because God loves him, to lead Israel that he might execute or carry out justice and righteousness. If you look, if you do a word study in the Bible on the word justice, you might be surprised to see just how many of those verses also have the word righteousness. That, that, that justice we, we read it in our call to worship. God is a God of justice. And so you can't truly have justice without the righteousness of God. With all respect to our non-Christian friends, neighbors, politicians, and otherwise in American society, there's no hope for true justice to happen apart from the character and the nature of God. You can have a facsimile of it, you can have a little piece of it, but it won't be the fullness of it unless God himself is the one doing it. So justice and righteousness. If you, want, if you care about justice, you ought also to care about right living before the Lord. Number three, justice. Now here's where things get interesting. In the Bible, justice means extra care for the vulnerable. 
So yes, equal weights and equal measures, but biblical justice is defined by God to look upon those who are in a position of poverty or less power or in a position of vulnerability and to lift them up. Zechariah, again, these are all just examples. I could give you dozens of verses. The the verse in Zechariah chapter 7 Verses 9 through 10 says, The Lord of hosts says, Render true judgments, or justice. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. There's that righteousness angle. Uh, Professor Calvin College, Nicholas Wolterstorff, coined this phrase, the quartet of the vulnerable. The widow the orphan, the sojourner or the, or the alien, and then the poor. You know what's beautiful about the God of the Bible is that unlike any other God in all of antiquity, the God of the Bible uniquely identifies with the poor. Proverbs chapter 14, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker but he who is generous to the needy honors him. So justice, you know, again, if we have kind of a detached view of justice, it's just treat everyone equally. But God says, no, 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 no. That's the starting point. But true biblical justice means to look upon those who are in a position of vulnerability and to provide extra love, extra care, extra support, extra sacrifice to lift them up. It keeps going. You want to keep going? Let's keep going. Number four, justice is inherently then relational. See, in our culture, we have this saying, you know, justice is blind. And it's the, it's the American legal system, right? Justice. And we have cold, hard justice that's just dispensed, except for it's kind of not, right? There's a study, a really interesting study. I'm going to, I'm going to mess up the details. I should find it and send it out. But there's a study that's done that says that sentences and renderings that are given from a judge in the afternoon are less strict than those given in the morning. Do you know why? Because they've had lunch and they're tired and they're just kind of wanting to get, move on. I actually read an article saying, well, you know, because of that then, all of our judges and our justices as humans, they can't give out pure justice. We need to come up with an AI computer, artificial intelligence computer that can render true justice. And I thought, that's the beginning of a really bad Christmas sci-fi movie, okay? Job 29, you guys remember our, 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 our brother Job when he's talking, he's defending himself. He says, I rescued the poor who cried out for help and the fatherless child who had no one to support him. The dying blessed me and I made the widow's heart rejoice. Friends, true justice is inherently relational. We have um, so impersonalized it, right? The program for the poor, the program for the widow. and We have our taxes go and it's just so impersonal and yet biblical justice is built on, no, you, you know this person, you care for them, you give to them, and you help dispense God's justice in their lives because there's relationship. Number five, (laughs) justice is like a baseline, just an absolute bare bottom starting point. Love is the goal. Justice is the minimum, right? The 10 commandments is the minimum. There's something much higher. Romans 13, 10 says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. 
So it's one thing to say, yeah, I don't treat people unfairly. Yes, I support those who have needs. It's another thing to say, I know them, I love them, and I want God's best for them. That's a more fully fleshed out biblical portrait of justice. And so when you turn on the news, or you're watching a late night talk show host or somebody talking about justice this, and we need justice in society, just remember that's a paper thin version of justice that they're talking about. God's word offers us a much fuller three-dimensional portrait of what we mean when we say justice. So from here on out, when I'm talking justice and we read about this in the book of Habakkuk, please know that that's what I'm referencing. This bigger, loving, caring, serving, supporting, lifting people up type of justice. Injustice is real, by the way. Shouldn't be controversial to say it, but injustice is real. And what really, man, just again, breaks my heart is when people, depending on your political persuasion, you got one group of people on this side saying, here's these injustices and we need to pay attention to them. And another group of people on the other side saying, well, here's these injustices and we need to pay attention to them. And, and why do you people hate this group of people? And why, why do these people hate this group of people? And why don't you care about, what if maybe there was some truth on both sides of the debate and there's a whole heck of a lot of injustice to go around? What if the world's actually more broken than just one political party or one political ideology could notice? And what if injustice really is as terrible as it seems, that it it perverts the, the character of God and it harms image bearers made in his image and likeness? So Habakkuk lodges this complaint. Hey God, there's injustice everywhere. Judah is messing up. It's not going good. Would you please do something? So God gives a response. And boy, it is not the response that Habakkuk wants. Verse five, look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded. By the way, this next verse. For I am doing something in your days that you would not believe when you hear about it. I grew up in a tradition, a faith tradition, where people would be more free in expressions of like, hey, God told me this. God put this on my heart. And uh, I believe in that, by the way. I think that is 100% still valid. But there were some abuses that took place or some things that were weird. And one of the things that was weird is this verse would always get used to then set up something really positive. I'm doing something in your days that you would not believe when you hear about it. Revival, and everyone's going to get healed, and it's going to be amazing. Here's what the verse actually says. God says, look, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That's the Babylonians that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. (laughs) You guys, that's hilarious. I mean, not, it's tragic, but it's not what Habakkuk was asking for. Dear Lord, America is so messed up. Would you bring peace and wholeness and well-being? And then the Lord says, yes, I'm sending in Iran to bring some order for once. No, thank you. No. (laughs) Hosea's not happy about this. I mean, you keep reading in chapter one, in verse 13, he's like, hey God, like you're supposed to like not be able to look upon wickedness. How in the world could you use the Chaldeans? How in the world could you use Babylon? And by the way, I can resonate with this. I get frustrated at times when I complain about injustices in society. And then it seems like God uses something uh, not that I would have chosen to bring about some change. Let me give you one example. A few years ago, 
this widespread movement known as the Me Too movement. Uh, hashtag Me Too was shared widely on social media and other platforms by women, hundreds of thousands, millions of women saying that they have been the victims of unwanted harassment, uh, 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 sexual harassment, even abuse. Now, friends, this is not a trick question. As people of God, do we care about how our sisters are treated? Should we care about that? Not a trick question. As people of uh, followers of Jesus, do we care? Do we, do, we, do, we, do we believe that God has some opinions on how sexuality is to best to be expressed for the health and well-being of everyone involved? Yes. So therefore, should we care that there are tons, many, hundreds of thousands of women in our society who are saying, I have been harmed by unwanted sexual advances and harassment? Do we, do we care about that? Yes, this is, like a, this is like, I'm not tricking you. This is, again, baseline sort of stuff. And yet, why in the world do I then turn on my TV and hear people at the Oscars, Hollywood celebrities, lecturing about the Me Too movement and the right treatment of women? When it is no exaggeration or no stretch to say that the Hollywood empire has largely been built on the exploitation of women. I wanted to put an axe through my TV. You're kidding me. This, I mean, this is what I said. Forgive me for my Habakkuk moment. This scumbag is going to lecture me on proper sexual ethics when meanwhile, the, the rise of like sexualized violence in TV shows has like, you know, gone up like 600% in the last decade. You've got to be kidding me. I can resonate with Habakkuk. Really? God? The Chaldeans? Seriously? Them? By the way, at least Habakkuk gets a little bit of an answer. How many of you have ever been like, man, what's going to happen? What do we do with all this injustice? And you, you wish that God would give you an answer? What if that answer was, yeah, Iran is coming, right? It, what if you actually knew? At the beginning of this year, I preached in, in my sermon. I said, you know, everyone's always like, thank God that year was over with. I'm ready to get on to the next year. And I said, you don't know that this year is going to be any better. <laughs> Whoops. Man. We are, okay, okay, so last week was the anniversary, the one-year anniversary of announcing to both Sound City Bible Church and Martha Lake Baptist that we were going to start talking and pursuing merging together. Mark, what if we knew a year ago? Whoo, man, what would we have done, right? My gosh. One year ago, almost exactly to the date, we flew out John and Andrea Fox and said, hey, John, would you like to be the administrative pastor of Sound City Bible Church? I'm sorry, I didn't know, okay? Jeez. What if we, I, God is good. We can trust him in these things. You're, that's the end of my sermon. Don't, don't jump ahead, Mark, okay? You're giving away the ending. Because I got I to tell you, the next section gets dark. So brace yourselves here. <laughs> so God responds to Habakkuk. Yes, I know the Babylonians. They're a piece of work right now. And God is actually going to pronounce five judgments upon the Babylonians. So buckle up, friends. Here are these five woes in Habakkuk, and I'll summarize them just for the sake of time. The first one has something to do with the idea of debt, greed and debt. Chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, it says, Woe to him who amasses what is not his, 
and, and loads himself up with goods taken in pledge, won't your creditors suddenly arise and those who disturb you wake up? There is a place, biblically speaking, there is a place for borrowing and lending. The idea of borrowing and lending is not unbiblical, but it is amazing how often debt turns into something that is either fueled by greed on our part or fueled by greed on the part of those who are lending and oppression and exploitation and injustice can take place. I mean, we learned about this in the U.S., even in the housing crisis of a decade ago, that there's all this greed and, and unethical business practices that led to widespread debt and the whole you know, financial house of cards comes collapsing down. Debt, your credit cards. I don't think you could say, biblically speaking, it's a sin to have a credit card, but boy, is it a potentially dangerous thing. Woe to him who amasses what is not his. Debt is a justice issue. Number two, dishonesty in business. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house in order to place his nest on high to escape the grasp of disaster. Again, it is not wrong to be a business person and it is even not wrong to use business to provide safety for the coming day of hardship. The book of Proverbs will talk about that. But woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house, cutting corners, finding every single loophole. In the Old Testament, there was this idea of you don't glean all the way to the very edges of your field. You leave some margins so that you can take care of the widow and the sojourner and the poor among you. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house. Number three, something in the, in the, in the, um, in the realm of exploitation or even outright slavery. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Here in the United States of America, we're doing probably a poor job, no, most certainly a poor job, of really wrestling with the idea that much of the economic prosperity that we enjoy came about as a result of kidnapped, enslaved Africans. And while that might feel for many of us, well, that was a long time ago, that was, you know, that was back then, things have changed right now. I read an article this week that really, it upset me. So pretty much everyone agrees that right now, the nation of China is a major concern when it comes to human rights violations. And this is like, this is one of those few things that like kind of everyone, left, right, all, all can agree upon. China is doing some really bad things. In the area of forced labor, there's a, uh, there's a people group known as the Uyghurs. They are a Muslim Chinese minority who are, are currently, and reports kind of keep coming out from these human rights agencies, that they're being systematically rounded up and shipped off essentially to modern-day concentration camps, and they are being put to forced slave labor. So the United States House of Representatives recently passed legislation to put some sanctions against China in these particular provinces, that certain provinces where these forced labor things are happening that we wouldn't buy from them. And get this, you want to talk about broad consensus? The vote in the U.S. House of Representatives was 406 to 3. That's called a convincing consensus right there. 
They can't even agree on what color blue is. But when they voted on this, everyone was like, yeah, we really need to take some action against China. And the article said that Coca-Cola, Nike, and Apple all banded together to lobby to have this legislation overturned. Now, if anything, it's certainly not a good look. They're claiming that, oh, you, you government people, you're overreacting. It's really not all that bad. And we, we police these things ourselves and make sure that there's no, I don't know, it's, 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 it's kind of beyond my control, right? All I know is my OfferUp app suggested a new iPhone 12 for me, and I balked at it like a little bit more than I would have otherwise. Exploitation and slavery are really, really, really real in our world to this day. Number four has something to do with the combination of drunkenness and lust or sexual immorality. Woe to him who gives his neighbors drink, even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. One of the areas of outright exploitation that takes place in the United States of America, in Linwood, is that of trafficking. You know those coffee stands where uh, the women, they call them bikini coffee stands. In recent years, multiples of those have been busted as fronts for trafficking. People I've met with and talked with that work for anti-trafficking organizations, just the hotbed of that that happens just right over there. Five-minute drive, ten-minute drive from our houses right now. Woe to him who gets their neighbors drunk in order to look at their nakedness. Now, that's, that's like a top-shelf sort of a thing. There are websites right now that advocacy groups are working to shut down because of the widespread trafficking, and praise God for that. Please, Lord Jesus, do it. The problem is, is it's all just a game of whack-a-mole. You shut down one website, another one's going to show up. And you know what's even maybe worse is there's this continuum. These advocacy groups would say, you don't even have to go to an explicit website to participate in the trafficking industry. All you have to do is watch certain TV shows where they just shoo in all sorts of uh, nudity and sexual material because it's, it's not porn, but it's all on the same continuum. Woe to him who gives his neighbors drink in order to look at their nakedness. You read interviews with some of these actresses who make a mainstream movie where they're pressured into disrobing and doing these scenes and they talk about just how many glasses of wine and how many Xanax they had to take before and after to get through it. It is injustice. And it's wickedness. And then lastly, just idolatry. It comes back to what we talked about last week. Idolatry, which is foolish. Woe to him who says to wood, wake up, or to a mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there's no breath in it at all. Idolatry is foolish, and yet it is the root cause of all of the other injustices. Injustice starts in the heart. Now, if you're Habakkuk, you're hearing God say this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those Babylonians, they're real bad, aren't they? 
I mean, I mean, they're so bad. They, they take on debt and they're greedy. These Babylonians, these Chaldeans, they're so bad that they, they're dishonest in business and they even enslave people and they're sexually immoral. And you know what? There was Babylonians. They're so bad. They even worship idols. What was Habakkuk complaining about all the way back in chapter one? He wasn't complaining about the Babylonians. He was complaining about the people of God in Judah doing all of those same things. So friends, the people of God do not get a pass. We do not get to look on an unjust society and say, how dare they? How could they? What are they thinking? No, the people of God are called to hit their knees in fear and trembling before the Lord and say, Lord, search me. I have injustice in my heart. I have greed in my heart. I benefit from the exploitation of others. I have been lustful. I am an idolater. Friends, we are all Babylonians. We are all the people of Judah before their deportation. So Habakkuk cries out in chapter three, verse two, the only thing he can do Lord, I've heard about the report, your, the report of you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. And then his cry, in your wrath, remember mercy. Remember chesed's steadfast, loving kindness and mercy is my only plea. Habakkuk cries out for the mercy of God. And then in chapter three, he goes into this poem of praise and worship. And he begins to describe what God is like and the things that God is going to do. And a lot of the language scholars have noted, the language in Habakkuk chapter three sounds like Exodus sort of language, that, that God's going to do something in, in, when, in this day, in, in his mercy, he's going to do something. He's going to do something to deal with the injustice and the slavery of the world. And it's going to be just like when he set our ancestors free from slavery in Egypt. It's going to be this amazing thing. And it kind of culminates in verse 13 when Habakkuk says, you come out, that's like a king coming out for battle. You come out to save your people, to save your anointed one, your Mashiach, your Messiah. And you crush the leader of the house of the wicked and you strip him from foot to neck. All this injustice and all of this slavery is going to be dealt with when God's anointed one shows up. And the question is, when? When is this going to happen? And actually, the answer to that came back in chapter 2, when the Lord said that, write down this vision clearly, inscribe it on tablets so that one may easily read it, for the vision is yet for the appointed time. There's an appointed time that God says, I will send my anointed one. I will strip the leader of the house of wickedness. It testifies about the end and will not lie, though it delays. Wait for it. Since it will certainly come and not be late. And the prophet Habakkuk had to watch with this promise as his, as his people and his countrymen were taken into exile in Babylon by these Chaldeans. 
And I don't know how long he lived. Maybe he got to see under Ezra and Nehemiah that people get to come back to the land, but they're still crying out, Lord, how long? We're, we're back in the land, but we're still under Roman occupation. We're still under foreign rulership. How long until there is justice in the society? The, 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 the Persians aren't treating us with justice and the Greeks aren't treating us with justice and the Romans aren't treating us with justice. We need justice for hundreds of years. When will the time come? And friends, the Apostle Paul answers this question in Galatians chapter 4. When we were children, we were in slavery under the elements of the world. But when the time came to completion, when the time was exactly right, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you, friends, are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then God has made you an heir. Friends, Christmas is about the exact right moment when God sent his son into the world to set us free from slavery and injustice that lives in our own hearts. And when Jesus came, he died on the cross. Friends, the innocent one, the truly innocent one, suffered the greatest injustice that has ever been known in human history, that he suffered on the cross the way that every wicked, unjust person ought to, and yet it was him who bore that on our behalf. But friends, that's not the end of the story, because on the third day, Christ rose from the dead, defeating the leader of the house of the wicked. Like Paul says in the book of Colossians, disarming the ruler of and authorities and putting them to open shame. And so friends, because of Jesus, because of Christmas, there actually is hope that injustice could be dealt with. This is some good news today, friends. Because of Jesus, he sets us free from the idolatry and the injustice in our heart and then he empowers us by his spirit to go out into the world and live out biblical justice everywhere we have opportunity. But first, we got to have, we got to do some heart work. First, we have to repent of the injustices that are in our own hearts. I want to invite you, you know, even in a, in a few minutes when we go to the Lord's table to celebrate communion, to reflect on his broken body and his shed blood, this great injustice that happened to Jesus. He didn't deserve it. You and I did. There's injustice in my heart that I need to repent of. But the good news is that Jesus offers us his amazing grace. Number two, we got to commit ourselves to biblical justice. And, and, and it, again, it's because of Jesus. Some of you are really committed to the idea of justice, but you've bought into the cultural idea of justice. And you need to broaden your definition, uh, enlarge it to look at biblical justice. Some of you are just scared of the word justice, period, because of some of that polarization I talked about. Friends, we must be people of good news and good deed together. Biblical justice and number three, we got to adjust our expectations a little bit. You know, I mentioned this idea of enlightenment idea of progress. And, and, you know, you can read things that were written over the last few hundred years where there's this idea of if we just got all the knobs and all the dials right, we could have heaven on earth. 
I don't know if you know this, there's like sinful people everywhere. Like, like even in this very room, my apologies, okay? All layers of government, every nation, it's going to continue until Jesus returns. But again, because of the gospel, we actually have some hope that we might be able to make a difference. So let me just close by sharing a few practical ways that you might be able to make a difference, okay? The first one is the maybe cliche sounding idea of awareness and education. So I didn't know about some of this stuff going on in China right now. And I don't know that I'm even necessarily called to go to China or to start political lobbying for China, but now I know something. And even by speaking about it now, maybe you are called to go to China. You need to have awareness about not only what's going on in the world, but awareness about yourself and your particular part of the body and your gifting and your, your abilities and the resources, okay? So that, I should say that even just, this is the header for all of us. It's awareness about what's going on in the world and it's awareness about yourself and where God would call you to serve. Everybody can't do everything. Every church can't do everything. Where are you called to get involved? Number two, foster care or adoption. Caring for the orphan. And that can be either through direct foster care, directly adopting, or supporting those who do. That's what our whole giving tree, those gift cards are all about. Kids come into the foster care system sometimes with just the clothes on their back. Social worker needs to take them to Target to buy some clothes. Social worker needs to take them to Subway to get a sandwich for their first meal in a few days. Elderly care. One of the things I love, truly love, about Sound City Bible Church is that we are a multi-generational church. And I'm thankful that our nursery is busting at the seams. I'm thankful that we have a lot of shelter-at-home babies to dedicate here in a few weeks. Uh, I'm thankful that some of you have been alive for seven, eight-plus decades, and you have wisdom and experience to share. And as those later seasons of life come, we need, we need, to, we need to have some serious conversations as a church about ways that we can take care of those who are elderly in our midst. Number four, donate and volunteer. You know, find an organization that is doing good gospel work in the area with homelessness or foster care or trafficking or whatever and just give them some money or give them some time. A lot of biblical justice just looks like generosity. A lot of justice just looks like generosity. Number five, evaluate your economics. Where are you taking on debt that actually inhibits you from really living out biblical justice? Where are your business practices? Maybe you need to put in some, some, some biblical guardrails if there's corners being cut or, or lack of generosity. Where, even in your own purchases, I know I've probably ruined Christmas for a lot of you because you just bought a pair of Nikes. <sighs> Sorry. It's the world we live in. We need to maybe evaluate our purchases. God cares about all that we do. And then lastly, political involvement. And no, for goodness sakes, I do not mean posting on Facebook. Holy cow, no. I mean, thank you. I mean like actual bona fide political involvement. And yeah, I also do not mean sitting around at a coffee shop once those ever become open again, talking about political involvement, what everyone else should do. I mean like actually lobbying, actually writing a letter, actually going and sitting through a city council meeting, actually going and giving testimony. I mean, politics is like, I'm sorry, like the West Wing has lied to you. Politics is boring, boring normally, I know the last few years, it has not seemed that way, at least at the federal level. Politics is boring. Some of you are actually called to be involved politically. Whatever you're called to, you have been given the spirit of adoption as sons of the Most High God. 
We carry within us the spirit of God himself. And Jesus came to break the chains of oppression in our hearts and in the world. We dare not over-spiritualize that and we dare not under-spiritualize that. It's a pretty profound thing, thing to think about. And so in a minute, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's table. I'll invite Pastor Jamin to come. And in a minute, we're gonna sing a song that's a prayer of asking God to rise up and act in the world, in us and through us. So let me close in prayer. Lord, I ask and pray that you right now, as we come to bring our hearts before you at the table, you would help us to repent of idolatry or injustice where it may be. And you would stir our hearts to live out justice in this world in anywhere that you would have for us. We love you. We trust you, Jesus. We thank you that you came at the exact right time. And we trust you that you will return at the exact right time. And until then, help us to be faithful. Amen.